Ladies and gentlemen, it's 10 a.m. on the 25th of April 2020. And that can only mean one thing. We're here for the Blockdown Party. This event was supposed to take place in the real world, but who needs the real world when we have the digital world and we can all collect together online and make teletext. There are some people here in Discord. Say hello if you can hear me. Hi! Hello, I am David Walford. I booked the room in Cambridge. And we might not Cambridge, Cheltenham. Sorry, that's that's the computer museum. That That's the other place where there have been previous block parties. And there is hopefully going to be a physical gathering later this year. Excellent. So, who else is here with me? I'm Alistair, or ZX Gasser, and I built the uh, block party server that you're putting the pages on. Yes, he built it out of nuts and bolts, and stuff that he had lying around in his kitchen, like toilet roll sensors and fairy bottles, is that right? And quite a lot of JavaScript as well. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody else want to talk in the Discord? Hello, my name is Tom41, I'm just a hobby teletext recoverer been buying loads of tapes off eBay and looking for interesting teletext on them. Have you found anything interesting so far? Well, I found quite a bit of Oracle and even some from the late 1980s, which predates my recordings. I think my earliest is uh, 1986. Found some text from there. Was that C-Facts or something else then? I think that's or that was Oracle actually, 1986. Oh, Oracle. sorry. Yeah. So what was Oracle like at that time? Was it an exciting thing? Have you recovered a lot of interesting pages and artwork? I mean, most of my recovery is actually from ITV, so Channel 4 recoveries are, seem to be a bit thin on the ground. But Channel 4 Oracle was the best. It had loads of animation, well not animation, but uh, graphics. Oh, hi, Peter. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Peter is the creator of TFAX, isn't that right? Um, yes, though Carlos did um, choose the name. Yes, I think we talked about that on the Teletext R podcast a couple of episodes ago, didn't we? Mm. Yeah. About how it was named after your website, T-Stop. Is it still hosted by T-Stop, by the way, TFAX? Um, yeah, T-Stop happens to be my plusnet band account. Yeah, well, actually, I used to have a Blue Yonder account, and my website was xxx.blueyonder.co.uk. It wasn't xxx. It wasn't some sort of hardcore porn teletext site. Although I wish it was, to be fair. Well, like the Xenox is, uh, the triple X is, uh, it gets it banned in certain places. That doesn't sound good. Well, at least we can see it here in the UK, because we don't have any lockdowns on websites. Or, do you, you get it? <laughs> uh, David, I was going to ask you, the physical block party, what did you have planned for that before that was, that was postponed? Um, an annex to a civic hall in Cheltenham, booked for a weekend. Plenty of power sockets, a few extension cables, and everyone turns up and see what happens, basically. Well, that's basically the nature of today, I think. People turn up. We don't know how many, but we just get together, make some teletext, and have some fun. I think that's the main thing. Okay, so, guys in the Discord, how are we managing during the lockdown? I'm all right. It's just that, you know, I've now finished my last set of tapes and I haven't got any more tapes to do, so. So how many recoveries have you made so far then? Oh, I've made it. I've got a, like directories. I've got nine separate batches that are all from different eBay tapes and, and do one more batch from my own tapes from back in the day. That's uh, 10 batches, a lot of files. Oh, really? So I imagine that's a lot of space on your system as well, then. Yeah, I, I was going to you know, bring a hard disk with all the files on them so that you guys could take them at the block party. 
Oh, take cool. them onto your own computers. But of course, that's not going to happen now. Well, we might have a block party later in the year if things settle down. Yes, I've already paid for the room, so we're definitely going to have it short of the venue going under. I mean, if I had some cloud storage, if I had a large amount of cloud storage, then I might be able to upload them all for you, all the recoveries, and you could look through them at your leisure. I mean, the first eBay batch, the whole set is 973 megs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the final batch I did is uh, 35.9 gigs. And these are for the raw recovery files. I haven't not squashed them or anything. So do you have, for example, a website that shows some of your recoveries? Or where can we find your recoveries online? Are they well, there? I've posted a few of them on the Discord already. Okay. But that was a, quite a while ago. I only post when I find something really interesting. You wouldn't want to see like every single day of BBC News, for example, yeah, unless it's something yeah. like something important, like Diana dying. Isn't... Yes. Um, have we? I don't know if you would know this, or if Jason would have a copy, or anybody out there. Any pages from nine eleven, from when all that was going on? Because I know that nine eleven is mentioned a lot in regards to the internet going down, websites going down. Uh, due to the amount of people that are flooding onto them, onto the websites. And allegedly, people used teletext to keep up to date with that sort of thing. Yeah, as a matter of fact, my college library has a videotape in there. I don't know if they still have it, but it was a, a bunch of news coverage from 9-11. And it did contain the text, but of course I'm not a member of the college anymore, so I can't rent it and recover it. Oh, what a shame. See the actual text going on. It's probably a second or third generation copy, which would ruin the text somewhat. Because when you copy a tape, that actually softens the teletext information and you get much worse recoveries. Right. Yeah, it's impossible, pretty much impossible to recover them then, I would guess, or restore well, them. Well, second generation, you might get something out of it, but it won't be won't be as good as the first generation tapes but third or fourth generation you can probably forget it right well that's a shame that you can't get hold of those tapes to at least try because I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in like you say the newsworthy moments to see how the news networks were covering things hmm. I remember watching it live on TV I was actually at the college when it when it happened oh yeah I was in a room full of TV equipment, and their TV was set to underscan for some, some strange reason, so I could see the teletext on the top the entire time. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, but sadly, I'm not a machine, so I can't read it. <laughs> do you mind if we ask what you do? Do you work with broadcasting and stuff like that? Unfortunately not. I, I used to drive around fixing computers, but then I became partially blind, so I can't do that anymore. Oh, okay. Lots of people must have tapes of things like this. And indeed, if you're listening out there, guys, and you do have tapes from significant moments in history, we would love to have them and recover the teletext from them. We do have a growing collection, or a growing group, I guess, of teletext VHS recoverers, and they're in the Discord. But I forgot to make one more announcement, and why Text in Finland, who you might have heard of, you might follow TTV Messi on Twitter, who works for Finnish Teletext. But they are hosting a, uh, a Teletext art festival currently, which is organized by the Fix C Cooperative. If you're a listener of Teletext R, we spoke to Messi, Messi Ramu, a few weeks ago regarding the festival. However, it was supposed to end today. Due to campaigning from certain people, it's been extended for another month, so I think it's on page 820. You can view it online, a teletext art festival. And it's called TART 2020, which I think is a wonderful name.
just speaking about uh, significant times in, in history well, and that's not really significant times in history but I've, I've got a I've got a recording here where like January the 3rd 1993 which is just after Oracle switched over to teletext so it's very early days right is that the first day of oh no it's not the first day it's uh, the third day of and they're still getting teething problems they've got the channel 4 index on ITV and vice versa oh okay <laughs> I think we can blame Paul Rose for that because he was one of the people who worked for Teletext at that time. <laughs> Is Paul Rose going to be coming into the chat or? We hope so. We don't know when. We just know that he's going to be here at some point. And I'm just blindly clicking around looking for a particular artwork of Nikki's here, so don't mind me. Oh, there we go. Here's the bunny. 256. So. Somebody said that there's some held graphics going on here, and indeed there are. Held graphics are a dark art of teletext, and I don't know if anybody here would care to explain them. Anybody with a more technical mind than I? It's it the uh, the last mosaic character that was used gets used again instead of the control code. I know that people like Paul Rose, who weren't that good at whole mosaics, they tended to have a, a large black borders around their characters. You know, and things like Turn of the Worm. Those black borders were around the characters were to hide where the control codes go. That's right, yeah. Um, I think it was Paul Rose and Digitizer that characterised that, that popularised that even. Uh, and often, people like Hossenberger... So, by the way, I think Horsenberger might be in the chat currently. Can you hear me, Steve? I don't think he can, because he's, he's mute and deafened. Oh, yeah. He's deafened, but in a bit, he'll be able to come on and tell us all about the halo effect, I guess you could call it. The halo technique, I have dubbed it, in Teletext Art. I don't think it was... Digitizer and Paul Rose that invented this because I've seen this style used in earlier artworks from the 80s on Oracle but certainly Horsenberger and Paul Rose honed it I guess to their own style and it became known as sort of the Digitizer style and the Teletext Limited style things like Bamboozler the end screen, the windscreen in Bamboozle and if you've ever played 10 to 1, which was the sports version of Bamboozle, you'd have a full screen graphic if you got a question wrong, which is really nice. I'm just trying to think of other examples. Turn of the Worm. Turn of the Worm, of course, is a prime example. Hi, Dan. Hi, guys. Hello. I heard you, heard you calling my name earlier. Sorry, I was just chatting to the wife. Hello. Oh, that's okay. Morning, Steve. Morning, everybody. How are you guys? Very well indeed. So you were saying about, was it backgrounds, was it? The black outlines? Yeah. What was it you were talking about? Yeah. So was it Paul Rose that showed you how to design in that way? Or did you just pick we it up We used yourself? to. Well, that's, yeah, when we used to, well, so we used to be in school together and we used to draw, and that was our style, especially Paul's style, and I sort of rubbed off on me, that was thick black outlines, even in his ordinary drawings, in his artwork. And I think it was just a style that we sort of both fell in love with and carried on with. I know that neither of us like to use hell graphics. It just doesn't work for us. I don't know why. We just don't like it. Yeah, and I think that's it, really. It was just a style that he's always had and that sort of rubbed off on me. Yeah. I was going to say, also, I don't quite understand hell graphics still, so that's all right. That's the other reason yeah. I don't use them. Well, personally, I'm still trying to understand hell graphics, but as I go along, I'm picking up more and more and understanding more of it. Uh, but what I was going to say was, in regards to the thick black outlines, one of the hidden positives to that is that you can vary the thickness of your lines. So you've got the big thick three pixel outline to hide the codes, but also that gives you the opportunity to use two pixel lines and one pixel lines. So you've got a variation in the thickness of lines, which you don't have with, for example, pixel art styles. So was that something that you were conscious of? Steve? Yeah, always. I think it as the design, I think it really does add to it. It gives you a lot more 
well, it, it makes it more illustrative, I think. Right. You can there's so much more you can do with those different thicknesses of black line to to sort of show what you're trying to do. It's actually I don't know if you'd agree me on the, with me on this, but it's a good way of having a background take up the whole canvas. Because you can you could use something like, for example, the actual background attributes. I don't think that looks quite as nice. For me, for, yeah, for the kind of, well, especially the kind of art I do, and obviously the ones Nikki likes doing as well, which it just, and you yourself, I think, we don't need that color background. It just doesn't work. When, like I say, putting the white over the blue just doesn't work, but white over black makes it look like an illustration, I think. That's personally, that's what I feel. Well, I don't know if you actually had guidelines that you had to follow, Steve, when you worked with Teletext. Did you have a manual of style that said, you must never put magenta over lime green, or what have no. you? No. No, the only thing we had was, basically, I think it was just the Teletext font and logo. That was, that was it. For the, everything else was just do what works. So you were free to do whatever you wished in regards to color yeah. combinations? Yeah. And sometimes it was encouraged even more because people, well, I say, wanted their own design, especially in the sort of advertising side of things. Just make it look different so it stands out from the next person's. You say that you never used backgrounds at all. Yeah, I may have done sort of like beach on sea. That was about it, really, I think, for when I was doing the, the holiday ads. So to have the uh, you know, yellow gone on to dark blue, that was about it, really. One of the wonderful things about our Teletext archive, ladies and gentlemen, the VHS archive, is that you can look through it and actually find hidden gems that have not been seen for years of Hossenberger's and indeed Paul Rose's artwork. Uh, I don't know if you follow my Twitter guys, but a couple of weeks ago on Easter I posted a load of previously lost artworks from Channel 4 Teletext. and. Biffo says they were Horsenberger originals, and wonderful they were too. <laughs> they were. I can't. I, I barely even remembered them until I saw them and thought, definitely, that's yeah. I remember doing that as soon as I saw them. What about the one that says "pick up chicks"? What well, says <laughs> something about picking up chicks? Didn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can do better. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe they ever used that one. That was the thing. I'm sure I just did that one for a joke. <laughs> but it, it was. It obviously went online. <laughs> I'm just looking at some old Adventures of 14 now, made by Ian Irving. I've got them recovered off tape, and I'm trying to figure out how the whole mosaics work on there. Yeah, Ian Irving could be seen as a pioneer of teletext art. He's certainly one of my own inspirations. And if you've ever seen Raquel Myers's work, it's heavily inspired by some of the stuff that was on Fortel that Ian Irving and his team did. So yeah, I guess it depends on the style that you have, but I think held mosaics take a little bit more forethought, and you can just power ahead with this method, the halo method. I guess you wouldn't have had a name for it, would you, Steve? Back then, you would just—it was just art. No, nobody. Oh, sorry, there was no style. Nobody actually asked for anything in particular. It was just, this is what we need. Do it. Yeah. So, and that was it. It was literally just do it the way you want to do it. And if they liked it, they used it. If they didn't, you just did it again. Were there any that got sent back to you that they said, this isn't suitable, you have to do it again? No. No, as far as I can remember, everything was just used. Again, there was, especially when I was in the, the advertising department, the marketing team, there was just so much needed to be produced every day. I mean, there were so many adverts that needed illustrations. So many bits and pieces, they just... Grabbed it. And there was also a library, so I think they just grabbed a lot out of the library that Paul would already produce for them and right. previously done. So they could go back to those little uh, you know, little images and they, the ones they used all the time. So basically, they probably didn't even have anybody working on art in the later years after Mr. Rose left, and they just reused his artwork. I think, yeah, for the editorial, definitely. I think there was a chap called Ian, Ian Mary who took over from me doing the graphics. And apparently he's still working for Teletext now. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I did actually speak to him a while ago, asked if he wanted to come to one of the block parties, but he was too busy. Cool. Yeah, sorry. Just as an example, I've put the backgrounds into Nikki's fantastic picture of the 
bunny rabbit there just to demo how that might look in a different style in the background style and I would say it doesn't look too bad but I think both of them have their own merits really so you've got the top half that's got the background and the bottom half that's got the halo technique and I think that they can live together in harmony and you can use both in your art I would say if you're an artist coming to Teletext for the first time and you want to try these things out I encourage you to do so I think it depends what looks best just go and try things it's basically a case of whatever works best for what you're trying to make and don't worry if you make mistakes because we all do Speaking of Teletext graphics I just remembered I've got some children's BBC recoveries you know BBC CFAX and they, uh, basically, kids were sending in their their photos, and somehow they were being put on teletext. Did they automatically do it with a with a camera, or did they do it? Did they redraw it, or what? Steve, can you hear? I don't know if you might have the answer to that. Okay. Uh, well, I know. Yeah, I know. With um, teletext on the frame it sections, the kids would actually send in drawings, and then we would convert them. But how did you convert them? Did you uh, just by eye, just by hand? Yeah, we just have the picture there, and we'll just try to copy it best as, to the best of our ability. So you didn't actually use the digitizer, which was a uh, sort of Rostrum camera thing? No, they did have it. I did see it, but I never used it. Actually, I think I used it once, but it was so bad. There was like more work needed to actually fix it than to use it. And I guess that's where the name digitizer came from. <laughs> Yeah, we had one at ITN making graphics in the early 80s, and it was uh, it was bloody awful. It was, took a lot, lot of effort to get the contrast and the game right to get anything recognisable. So I assume you had a go at it. Did you stick your hand under it to see what happened? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we tended to stick photographs under, but... Uh, it didn't last long because I invented something better that could uh, process the colours so that they were compact enough for the technology but still recognisable. So that's what uh, ITM used for the next 20 years. So how did that work? Did it still use the digitizer but with your tweaks or they stopped using it altogether and used something else that you made? Well, at first it used colour filters. You do the red scan and the green scan and the blue scan, and then my software would add it together. But because of the weird nature of the ITN graphics, you were limited to the number of colors. The more colors you had, the worse it would be for the machine. So but it was a weird machine because we could choose any number of colors we wanted. So we could say, I'll have 15 colors for this, and then it would pick out the best colors, and you'd get a picture of a politician or something in only 15 colors. But it, was, it took a lot of processing. And so that artwork made it onto Teletext then, did it? Uh, no, it made oh. it onto the ITN bulletins. Ah, it wasn't anything to do with Teletext. Uh, but it was the same digitizer. Ah, but, uh, right. you, could, you could take the pictures and put them into something else. So I know in 1984, they actually used it to put it into some computer games because it was difficult to process pictures at that time. Do you Somebody know what... sneaked into ITN. I, I don't know. They were budget games made by British Telecom at the time when British Telecom thought it was a good idea to get into computer games. So I, don't I don't know what the titles were. I don't remember BT making games. Do you guys out there in chat? Well, who knows? They had their little cassette boxes and... Firebird and Rainbird, I think, wasn't it? Oh, right, yeah. I remember those. Yeah. Divisions of Telecom Soft or something. So Newsflash, Paul Rose is in the chat. Paul Rose is here, is he? It is indeed. He's in the text. Chat. The one and only P Rose, the legendary prose. All right, so I guess getting back to Teletext art and um, 
Is somebody using the toilet, by the way? Oh, sorry, I'm doing the washing up. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot okay. to mute the, the microphone. <laughs> yeah, cleaning away the breakfast things. Um, yeah, I got involved in teletext art um, way back in, I think it's 2012. Is what happened is I made a hardware version of VBit, which um, which I, which, I, which amused me because I could put up CFAX pages. So I just tweeted about it, and uh, straight away Raquel Myers came and asked me for the hardware. So uh, I made one, and uh, she took it round to exhibitions and actually got it to do things. So that was my introduction to Teletext Art. What about everybody else's introduction to Teletext Art, if you can remember, here in the voice chat? Um, probably I remember uh, Bamboozler's first place I actually saw any big artwork on Teletext. first I ever saw was, I think, The Adventures of 4T. That was my introduction to Teletext Art, and I was really impressed by it. You know, how much you could do on such a limited system. Yeah, I think The Adventures of 4T could have easily been its own little teletext TV program, a little animation. I don't know if anybody out there has seen Hands Up, which is made by the same people in Telfax. They created a series that taught kids how to learn British Sign Language. And I really think if they'd have done something like that with 4T, people would have watched it, kids would have watched it at tea time on a Friday. I don't know what you guys think. You remember Fortel on View? Yes. And they had these little animations between the segments, little BBC animated characters doing things. And I always thought there was some magic page you could dial up on Fortel to actually make those things come up with the animations and everything. But I think it was only for the, the text, only for the Fortel on View. Well, I know what Fortel was. Uh, it was a special program which I think was written by Ian Irving which took all the animation timings and uh, strung them into a big big show and they just hooked up the BBC Micro for Fortel on view. That's the music. That's the music of Fortel on view. Oh yeah. One of the things that it's always nice to see people recover from Oracle is the full page advertisements for films and albums where they would sometimes recreate an album cover or maybe a picture of the band on teletext. And those are always wonderful to see. I think I've got one that's uh, with the Euro Disney advert. It was like a full-page advert, and they and they had the, the wrong British flag, and they had a, a mouse that doesn't look anything like Mickey Mouse. So it was just a random mouse, was it? Random mouse, uh, and there was a French flag and the wrong British flag, you know, pre-colonial <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> well, maybe that's all they could manage in teletext. Could be. It's more difficult to do the British flag in teletext. Uh, so we've had some artwork submitted. What's it say? Nylons and more. Hold on. It says something about... Does it say not for kids or something? I can't read German. But sexy girls, 20 plus. Speaking of German text art, I have a recording. Sent, somebody recorded the Pokemon series in German and sent it to me. And that tape had text. So I recovered it and it was full of naughty images and things on the German text. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and ad adverts for liposuction, all sorts of that. <laughs> Germany must have very different regulations on what they can advertise during daytime. I've got a picture on the uh, on the VHS recovery page on the Discord, which shows a little, you know, logos and undergraphic and fewer dying handy. <laughs> and I've got it off one of my tapes, a, a tape of the German version of uh, Weakest Link with a host that looks just like Anne Robinson. But it's you know they it's like mobile phone logos. Do you remember on the old mobile phones you get little logos? display wallpapers yeah and there's one one that's like a sperm 
I remember that one because it seemed like one of Mr. Biffo's spoof German adverts. I mean, I could post the the, the really naughty ones I found on the Pokemon tape, but I probably don't, I don't want to. <laughs> I think ZX yeah. Guesser actually extracted them for me. Ah, it's supposed to be a kid's program and it's got naughty teletext on it. Well, <laughs> we could save them for the 8pm session. I think that counts as a watershed. That might be better. Block party after dark. Apologies, guys. Here it is. <laughs> right, I can hear again now. <laughs> Here is in Spermium and look. <laughs> so you can have a teletext sperm on your phone. <laughs> I mean, I have seen, you know, mobile phone logo ringtones and logos being advertised on UK Go. Plenty of those coveries. But never anything as raunchy as this. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess this is tame, isn't it? Compared to the yeah. stuff. This is tame compared to the other ones I saw. Is this going to I work? believe that tape was 2001. That German tape. You know, 24 Stunden Irakbar, Ruf jetzt an. That means uh, open 24 hours a day. Call now. So I was thinking we should make a uh, an introduction for the German people if they're watching. Wir grüßen in den recht herzlich zu unseren heutigen Blockparty. Meine Damen und Herren. What did you just say in, in German? Welcome uh, to the Blockparty. Uh, good, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We welcome you to our Blockparty. This isn't an English stream, by the way. Can I just ask a quick question? I don't know if anybody knows the answer. What's the copyright on teletext that's been used in the past, considering it wasn't stored anywhere? Does anyone hold the copyright for old teletext? Yeah, the copyright's still held by the broadcaster, just okay. like as if it was a TV programme or a book or anything. I guess with regards to copyright, it's more a case of it does exist, but certainly in the case of... Uh, Mr. Biffo registering the digitizer trademark. It seems that most companies probably don't care about it. Yeah, I think technically everything that was posted on the old Teletext still belongs to Teletext Limited, who are now, is it DMG Media or something like that? They all know Teletext Limited pages, and all CFAX stuff is still owned by the BBC. As for the others, I couldn't say. It depends who actually used to run them. The old cable channels, etc. I think there's some parallels with the retro gaming scene. Not so much the consoles, because the companies like Nintendo and Sega in a form still exist. But certainly ZX Spectrum and other 8-bit games. There's yeah, but like with the Nintendo and Sega and stuff, that's why they keep re-releasing the games on the modern consoles so that the copyright doesn't expire because they're still producing the games and still selling them yes whereas with many of the 8-bit home computers it seems uh, only once there seem to be some money in retro gaming that's when they're suddenly scrambled to find the copyright holders yeah well, I think we're fairly safe being able to earn money with teletext so I don't think there's going to be a horror gate for CFAX Hello. Ah. Hello. Ah, Hi, Paul. Hello, all. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paul Rose, Mr. Biffo. How are you today? Oh, I didn't expect a round of applause. So how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I've got a bad back, but, you know, mustn't grumble. <laughs> it completely went yesterday. So um, I'm dosed up on the Cocodamol today, so that's fun. This is the Drug Duff Edition. So, may I ask a question, Paul, to get us started? It was something, yes. something that was brought up earlier in the voice chat on the stream with regards to copyrights. I think we were saying that we believe that Teletext themselves, or the current state of Teletext Limited, uh, DMG Media, still actually own all the old Teletext pages. But... They can't actually own the ideas that you've created. Is that true? 
I don't know, in all honesty. I think it's a bit of a grey area. I suspect they don't care one way or another, really, apart from Bamboozle, which seems to be the one thing that everyone kind of remembers fondly. In terms of digitise, I mean, I've trademarked it now after two attempts to try and buy the rights to it off them uh, and never got any kind of response back, which led me to believe that they're not really bothered about anything to do with teletext anymore. So, I mean, yeah, I think our contracts said that anything created for them was theirs, as far as I know. But, you know, it's one of these sort of grey areas where where I don't think they're going to, they wouldn't probably fight for it. I mean, what would they do with something like Digitizer or, I don't know, any of the sections? After Dark, you know, they're not about to, to launch an After Dark magazine or TV show. Yeah, I was going to say they could do a Bamboozle feature film. Yeah, well, Bamboozle, I think, is potentially the only property that was probably created, other than maybe Digitizer, that they could do something with and people would remember it well enough. But so much of Teletext was tied up to the the medium itself, I think. That is half of, well, probably 90% of the nostalgia. So it wasn't so much the ideas they care about one way or another, you know, without the actual medium, which short of you guys keeping it alive, um, there is really, you know, a lot of uh, commercial anymore. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think they care. I think it's just something they're happy from their perspective to stick in a drawer and allow to, to gather dust. Paul, I've just got a very quick question. I've seen on some of the after dark things on the, on the uh, teletext, you know, in the early days, they had a cartoon called Turn of the Screw. Ah, yes. Was that anything to do with you? Uh, I did the artwork for it. It was They got in a guy who, I don't know who he was, but he claimed to have written for Viz. But when we did some, or they did some digging, I mean, Viz seemed to sort of disown him. Uh, so I don't know if he'd done, this is what he was bought. Do you know what? This is really weird. I've just realised I had a dream last night about Teletext's first editor. John Holm. Uh, that's weird. How very odd. Uh, I must have known I was coming on it. But it was John, funnily enough, that brought him on, you know, with this big fanfare that, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, you know, we're going to become Viz on the TV. This man wrote for Viz. So um, he wrote them uh, for a while. I mean, they didn't, I don't think they lasted beyond the end of After Dark disappearing. But I did all the artwork, which, I, you know, I love doing. I tried to do it in a kind of Viz style. And at one point, I think there was discussions about trying to get Viz characters. I think that's how Turn of the Screw came about, was because they, Teletext, you know, this guy had written some Roger Melly, the man on the telly, and Fat Slags strips for Teletext, which I actually illustrated. I mean, yeah, you know, they've, they've been lost to the, to the ether. But when they contacted Viz about getting the rights, Viz didn't want to know. And this guy didn't seem to quite have the connections that, Perhaps we were led to believe. That's all my memory of Turn of the Screw. <laughs> it's a good memory, actually. Do you remember anything else about After Hours? I remember doing the. Um, I remember doing it, doing the the homepage for it, which with the the kind of city with the the reflection in the water. Uh, I loved doing that. That was something I, I I did quite often because you know putting little putting full stops as lights in the windows and things. That was always fun. Beyond that, I mean, other than the reasons why it finally got cancelled, I didn't have a lot to do with it. Uh, you mentioned, just moving on a little bit, you did mention they're putting little dots in windows and things like that. Did that come to you in a moment of inspiration? Or did you see that somewhere else? Somebody else used it on Teletext elsewhere, and you thought, I'll steal that, and I'll use text mode characters to help with my graphics mode artwork no i can tell you exactly where i stole it from it was a zx spectrum game called cdab attack uh, which is baddie spelled backwards that was a first person shooter but the city itself was made up of tower blocks that were kind of rendered with full stops effectively and text characters um, so that was the inspiration you know, it was easier to do on the Spectrum, to be honest, because you didn't have the character instruction blocks. But 
Yeah, I think that that was probably it. I mean, they, you know, there were, there were lots of Spectrum games that used, you know, ampersands and at symbols and the like for in in lieu of graphics in places. Right. Well, Nikki has a question slightly related to this. Hello, Nikki. Paul, what is your favourite medium to work in? Is there one that's the most fulfilling and one that's the most fun? Um, it's a long way from teletext, but I like working with video editing at the moment. It's a long, long way from teletext. Yeah, I, I have uh, noticed how much your video editing has come along and how professional it looks. Because I was watching some of your lost footage stuff, and I thought, did you get a pro editor in for this? I've got better at it in the in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I um, I was editing this morning actually when I first jumped into Discord and uh, went on the YouTube. I was editing a chat line for talking to screaming goats uh video um but uh yeah it's probably that and then teletext is fun to do but i think over time i mean you know someone asked me to go back and do that for my job it's, it's so limiting that or limited in what you can do with it but I, I did enjoy the the sculpting aspect of teletext as a medium you know the you know normally starting with a big block and just chipping away to reveal the, the the kind of black background beneath that was always my approach to it but video is where my head is at these days yeah i could imagine how if you've tasted some of the more expensive mediums it's hard to go back to teletext yeah and your burgeoning creativity has to cut all of these things out they can't be contained within teletext when you were actually working on digitizer did you feel a sense of that that you were a little bit limited by the medium. If I guess if you weren't working for Teletext, you would have moved on to something a bit more expensive. Is that true? Well, I don't know. I got, in a way, it, it sort of held me back in terms of my graphic design career because I, I ended up becoming this specialist in, you know, mediums that were already out of date by the time I started working on them. You know, my I, I first started at Labbrooks Racing. That's and they had a a Teletext-like in-store betting system. Uh, it wasn't quite Teletext. It was actually slightly better than Teletext. But then after I had worked on that for a couple of years, then I moved over to their Oracle pages. And then I moved on to the Wembley Stadium scoreboard, which is, you know, Teletext-like like again, except you're dealing with literally with light bulbs uh, rather than pixels. But I think limitations can be a good thing. If you've got unlimited budget i don't know it helps to focus you having limitations and i think digitizer wouldn't have been what it was if we didn't have you know 60 words per page and graphics that were compared to you know high-end computer graphics that you know if they weren't a bit pony um <laughs> so it kind of helps to have limited tools in the box and see what you can do with it really i think a lot of the time, you know, and doing the found footage stuff at the moment, it helps in a way that I don't have a lot of money. And so I'm having to get creative with what I can gather relatively cheaply. Um, so, yeah, uh, I don't think I'd have moved on to something else because it would have meant retraining. By the time I left Teletext and stopped doing graphics for them in, what, 96, I think, end of 96, um, you yeah, know, my skills were yeah, at least a decade out of date. You know, I never trained as a graphic designer as such. I just ended up somehow with a job working in teletext graphics. So, um, yeah, you know, hence I took a turn into writing. Right. Do you think the principles of, general principles of design that you learned on teletext and making teletext pages, do you think that those principles could be taken, sort of transferable skills, if you will, uh, and put into your other endeavors well they were transferable when i went to wembley stadium you know that was um you know having kind of worked out how to create an image with pixels and resolution that certainly helped and i suppose the found footage stuff was always the reason why i kind of went for that slightly retro look with it was because of teletext was to try and evoke a long gone era but yeah i don't know it's a, it was a good it was a good training ground for being concise, which when I got my blog, I ignored completely. Um, <laughs> just wrote thousands and thousands of words, but it was like, you know, a, 
a bottle that had been shaken up and you take the lid off and it all just comes kind of erupting out. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. It doesn't feel like there's a massive connection between what I'm doing now and, and what I did then. I mean, my day job, which is writing scripts for kids TV, that you've got to be relatively concise with things like the dialogue and the, the stage directions. So it's it probably helps in terms of the, the limitations in terms of writing, but I don't know about the graphics as such. Hello? Hello! Yeah. I've got a recovery here from um, November 14th, 2005, which is the day before that Turner disappeared completely, before they got rid of it. Ooh. And the story was Turner at the Earth's core, and it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. Oh, right. Well, if you look... And it says, so, OK, boys, this is the last ever episode of Turner, so I guess we'll never find out what happens. Well, that's not true, because that story had run in full before. Because towards the end, once I stopped doing any work for Teletext, they just started rerunning the Turner adventures. So Turner at the Earth's core, if it ever gets rediscovered, is out there in full. Um, yeah, it was from 2001 at the Earth's core. There you go. So yeah, that was that was some sub editor putting the uh, slightly it was a bit of a slap in the face, isn't it? You'll never find out what happens. <laughs> like, okay, well at least run the whole thing if you've got it in the archive. But um, that was uh, par for the course. Okay, so does anybody else in voice chat have any other questions for Paul? I have a question, uh, Paul. You've mentioned before on one of the podcasts, I think, that you. Um... The boffins came to show off level two stuff at some point while you yeah. were working there, and you'd done a, you'd had a play with it with a Turner strip. Do you know if that stuff was ever broadcast or was it just messing around on the computer to see what it did? That was that was I think in um, uh, just in their internal system. So I doubt it would have ever gone out anywhere. I can remember. I think I did two Turner pages. One of which was. Funnily enough, my uh, the, the old cityscape again with a reflection, I think. But I think I, I adapted a patch that already existed from one where Turner goes into the future and there's a post-apocalyptic city. So I think I did a version of that, which with lots of lovely greys and you know different shades of, of grey. And then another page I did, I think I I think it was like a kind of Indiana Jones type page with Turner on it, with kind of gold statues and using different hues of yellow to kind of get a sense of the reflection on the on the columns. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it didn't go out anywhere um unless I'm wrong. I mean it was they'd shown it off and that was it was just me having a play around with it. You know, at that point we kind of thought, oh yeah, this is the future for about two weeks. And then of course it was pretty clear that the internet was <laughs> was gonna render even level two pretty much redundant. Imagine what CFAX would have looked like or imagine what Teletech would have looked like in mass in level two yeah i mean i would have loved it really uh i would have probably taken longer to do all the artwork and things on the pages but you know it's just a shame and coming a little earlier uh what was level two it was teletext plus so you have more colors i think there was sort of you could put shading blocks on so you could overlay kind of very tiny black pixels over a color block and that would give it a a, a sort of shadowy effect. I can't entirely remember what what else uh, the benefit was. I mean, it might have been, I might be misremembering this, but there might have been sort of shapes. You could get kind of blocks cut in half, so almost sort of perfect triangle shape. Other people might remember this better than I do, but the, yeah, the main thing was more colours. There's some uh, some test pages and so on on TFAX in oh, level I'll two. So. Yeah. Is there, is there like an emulator around that we could try that with? Something that's that basically emulates level two. Yes, uh, ZX guesses ZX Net Editor supports level two. Ooh. Actually, it doesn't. It supports two point five, which okay. is not quite the same. Yeah, the the earliest, uh, the first level two was in the eighties, in fact, um, but didn't take off. But then. When the new specification, Teletext specification came out in the early 90s, they changed some things around, but it's very similar. Well, 2.5 sounds 50% better than level 2. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Paul, I've got a question. Um, I've, I just did a quick background look up and I saw that you did some writing for uh, The Worst Witch and for uh, My Parents' Radiance. Yeah, yeah. Um, Worst how, Witch. how much were you involved in that? Well, Worst Witch, technically, I, I did what was called the new Worst Witch. So it was a f kind of follow-up series that kind of came quite a few years after the original Worst Witch. I think there's an, another new version of Worst Witch now on CBBC or one of the channels. Yes, the new, 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 new Worst Witch. A couple of eps of that, I think it series, but um, my parents are aliens. I came on board on series four of that, and I wrote, I think, 14 episodes, including the final one. I, I worked on that for about seven years. Uh, loved it. That was possibly still my favourite kids show that I've worked on. Yeah, I'm, I'm friends with them on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, Tony Gardner and um, Carla, uh, the mum and dad, those two particularly. Uh, I, I did. We went out for drinks and things, and yeah, I, I uh, knew them well back in those days. I mean, we don't have a lot to do with each other. I um, comment occasionally on Facebook posts and things, but they were all quite accessible because they've been doing it for so long at that point. It was that show more than any other I've worked on was like a kind of big family um, in terms of the cast and the writers and everyone sort of being involved with one another. So with uh, with uh, my parents Iranians, what sort of uh, what episodes did you write? Wow, geez. Well, I mean, 14 of them. The first one I wrote was one called Fish Fingers. My favourite one, well, my favourite two, there's one called Nappy Rash, which two of my kids are in um, as extras. Uh, and that, I think I got nominated for a BAFTA for that. Um, there was one about religion um, called Wrongs of Praise. That was probably my best one. And then the final episode, but I don't even remember what the final episode was called. I mean, they changed all the kid cast for the final series because... Um, they don't yeah. got too old. Yeah, it was boring so. then. It, it jumped the shark. It had jumped the shark by that point with new kids. I, I just wasn't interested. They moved to a lighthouse as well, which in the set was kind of weird. It was at least in the earlier series, it looked like a real house, kind sort of. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what happened. It must have been pretty fun writing for those, uh, that set of characters. I, I thought they all had their own niches quite well laid out. Yeah, they, it was brilliant. That was the joy of it, really, because, you, you you know, the two alien characters, you could do anything with them. You know, the, the, they could be completely outrageous. And uh, there were two episodes which I didn't like, but in one of them, the mum crucifies herself. Like, literally, the kids walk in and the mum's <laughs> strapped to a cross. Go look it up. Um, and in another episode, she grows an enormous pair of breasts to get male attention. But it was, it, you know, and you kind of think, God, I mean, you know, could you get away with that today? But it was all because it was about, always about learning something about human behaviour. Kind of get away with it because they were aliens and not normal people. And that was shown at tea time. Yep, half four. Absolutely. I think I remember the one with the uh, the giant press, and I was thinking, like, what is going on? Yeah, um, but it was it was experimental, and you know, as you say, it really explored like the human condition. I guess. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was a really special show. I think they did try to uh, continue it on as an animated series, which for a while after after it had um, been axed, but uh, that never came to pass. Yeah, I don't imagine that working so well. You kind of lose the human contact aspect of it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It was. It belonged in. Um, it belonged in live action. Mm. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, and it's, it was interesting to hear some stuff about my parents are aliens because I did watch that when I was a kid. I don't know if you were a writer on the show by that point, though. I might have been too old uh, by the time you. Series came on the four. Show. Series four, I joined yeah. it, so I don't know. Mm. You're probably well, one of those, oh, the original mum purists, aren't you? The, wait, wait, what? There was another mum. <laughs> <laughs> the mum, they're aliens, they're shape-changing aliens, and the mum. The, the original mum purists, yeah. That's very familiar. <laughs> well, well, I yeah. guess that's the benefit of shape-changing aliens, you can change the actors when... when um... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, let's get back it, to teletext. Yeah, well, it's a bit of a cop-out, that, though, isn't it, really? Just, just say that they're all aliens who could change. Doctor Who, Doctor Who. Yeah, can't imagine any other show would ever, ever do that. 
Mm. Well, we know about some of your current endeavors, your lost footage, etc. But do you still dip into teletext every now and again? Do you still make some teletext pages just for old times' sake? I did some in the on the Digitizer channel. I did some for the Christmas special that we did right at the start of that episode. If people go and look, there are some teletext pages that I did uh, especially for it. That was probably the last time I did it. Uh, when I was doing the Digitizer 2000 Friday Letters page, I'd do odd little Revelo jokes as well. Funnily enough, I did, when I was in the shower earlier, prior to coming on here, I did think, oh, you know, lockdown would be good to do a new episode of Turn of the Worm. So I might might do that. Um, just to, You know, because all these shows and things are coming back and, you know, people want stuff. So I thought, oh, maybe I could do a lockdown special of Turn of the Worm, Turn of the Plug in lockdown. Yeah, I'd love to see that. And what you should do is combine it a little bit with your YouTube channel and make a little teletext animation. It could well, just I'm... be slideshow thingy where you say, Hello, Turner. I'm <laughs> making my garden look nice for the lockdown. I'm growing my pickles. <laughs> That's his voice. You've got the job, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, actually. What did you imagine Turner's voice to be? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't think I ever really imagined voices in their head, uh, in my head, when I was writing it. Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, so yours is as good as anyone's. It, it sounds a bit like Terry Wogan to me. <laughs> there I'm, you go. Hi, hello, I'm Turner the Worm, and welcome to my comic strip today. <laughs> Wogan the worm. Yeah. With a wig. Hold hard worm fans. Yeah. <laughs> you should do that. That would be great. A little cartoon for the kids. I have tried a couple of times to do teletext uh, animation over the last few years and um, always got bored. <laughs> Never got very far. You can uh, you can bring up a reference, can't you, as a background image, if I, if I remember correctly. I believe so, yeah. So if you had that, you could have your previous frame and then use that as reference to animate it, and then you compile it together in something else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've thought about it. I may yet do it at some point, but we'll see. It's still time-consuming. <laughs> yeah, It's as tedious and time-consuming as drawing one page multiplied by how many frames you need. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I one, one page is enough for me these days, anyway. Yeah. Well, well yeah. you could work on the keyframes, and you could get some animators, some teletext animators, to do all the others. Are you volunteering? No. Oh. <laughs> just, just do it in live action. There you go. <laughs> Way easier. <laughs> the animator's wrist, doesn't it? Yeah. The real live what? turn of the worm. Yeah, put a put a pixel filter over it, and uh, there you got it. Reduce the colours. Done. No one will know. Every single episode is him being sick. Some <laughs> cheesy music in the background. <laughs> so, as someone that's new to Turn of the Worm, the the concept of him being sick, I, I, that's the most I've heard about it. Is that uh, there was some? I think like there was a stuffed worm at some point, and all the stuffing was coming out of its mouth, and. That that's all I know about Turn of the Worm is that he's a worm that was sick. Like, was there more depth to it than? Well, amazingly, that it, it that's all some people know about me is that I once drew a worm <laughs> sick. Um, <laughs> it was the final day of Digitizer, and uh, I put that image on Digitizer. It never happened in Turn of the Worm's actual comic strip. <laughs> Thankfully, not canon. Not canon, exactly. <laughs> So he's never been sick, is what you're saying? Yeah, he's never been sick. Right. It's not in my spreadsheet. <laughs> so you like Paul, you've had your finger in a lot of pies, so to speak, um, like digitizer, and then you had your well, I guess you do you have your online stuff uh, with the like a quiz show, is that, like digitizer as a quiz show. Yeah, kind of. We've done some quiz type episodes. Yeah. And that was that was quite an interesting insight as well. I, I guess the question is like, what's what's the plan for the next? <laughs> Where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> I do under the digitizer on Mr. Biffo 
kind of umbrella i sort of see is it's a hobby i mean i'm lucky enough to have patrons who help fund some of the stuff i do so all of it's hobby my day job is still writing kids tv so i don't really have ambitions as such it, it it's i just kind of want to know i can pay the mortgage from month to month and enjoy doing some creative stuff along the way and all of the last i don't know how many years it's been now five six years something like that since i sort of re-emerged as mr biffo all of it's been completely unexpected none of it i could have predicted and it's all sort of organically grown out of the previous things so you know doing the original block party with dan and the guys that was totally unexpected um and a lot of fun and off the back of that i did found footage and then off the back of found footage i did did digitizer the show off the back of digitizer the show we did digitizer live you know it's all sort of snowballed but none of it was kind of like me sitting down going oh in two years time i'm gonna do such and such a thing i just want to carry on doing interesting stuff that keeps my interest and hopefully entertains some people along the way I think that's definitely one of the things with uh, this part of the scene as well, in that you turn up to one thing and people say, oh, we've got another thing going on in the next room. Do you want to come over and have a look? Yeah, Um, yeah. That's how I ended up tangled up in this as well, is um, I turned up to the 2017 one in the the Cambridge Computing Museum. Yeah. 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 And that was a blast. Like Everyone was really friendly. Um, I turned up with what I thought was teletext on my computer. It was not teletext. It was just using the, the text characters. And then uh, I think uh, Raquel and Dan sort of brought me over and they're like, oh, uh, have a look at this. And they started typing away. At T- I think it's TF edit at the time. Or edit, edit, yeah, TF. yeah, edit TF. I was like, my God, <laughs> that, that's a lot of work for just displaying like three <laughs> lines. Um, but yeah, I, I really got into it. It's an absolute blast. But I think it's really good that, it, like, as you say, it snowballs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that the, the scene exists as it does now and the people are still keeping it alive and you know the likes of dan and peter and jason and simon and everyone and you know it's right because it was such a part of the british culture for such a sort of long time that it was a shame to think it had just disappeared um sort of only existing people's memories so you know the fact that it's an ongoing thing now is brilliant yeah, and we hope to do many more things like this in the future. Hurrah. Do you think we'll go back to the uh, the Cambridge Museum? Because that was a blast. Yeah, we have talked about it, going back to the museum. I think they'll have us back any time, they said. So there's a good possibility, oh. yeah. Didn't didn't upset them too much. <laughs> no, thankfully not. <laughs> That's good. Um, so uh, I've been in... I've, been dabbling with other stuff at the moment uh, with uh, ANSI art, which is a completely different beast. It's similar to text mode, uh, sorry, in teletext, in that you've got block characters, but uh, you've got all the different different dither patterns as well. And I think it'd be quite interesting if we bridged that gap between different groups and brought that into block party as well. There's stuff like uh, Mobius, for example, which is uh, an editor for making uh, ANSI, but you can do it in a group, um, like a group. Uh, so everyone working on the same image is pretty intense. Well, we already have uh, Raquel's work, certainly some of her older work is pet scheme based, which is essentially asking of a customized character set. So, yeah, I think yeah, we're open to all kinds of pixel work art. Is, is awesome. So, um, just. A quick one. Have you tried the Mutley software yet, Paul? The, uh, what is it called? It's called WTF Facts or something, I think. Uh, Xenox3x's.co.uk. Oh, is this the... um, Is this uh, where multiple people can edit a page at the same time? Yes, that's right. That was me writing poo, by the way, all over the page. Oh, really, Um, was it? Of course it was. <laughs> I, so I did try. I did try to edit graphics. For some reason, the graphics weren't appearing properly on my screen. So all I could do was write stuff. So that's what I did, like a child. Well, and we all followed suit. 
the program had a bit of a breakdown. We pushed it to its limits with pickles and what have you, I think. Yeah. But I can give it another go later and see if I can actually do some editing in there. Yeah, we're going to do some more of that later if you want to join in. Well, Paul, if you'd like to go and get your lunch, I guess this would be a good time. Uh, Okie dokie. Unless anybody else has anything else to say or ask, this could be a good time for us to generally break from the stream for lunch. What do you think? Right, I'll catch you all later. Thank you very much, Paul. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Cool. So, we thank everybody for joining us for the morning session of the Blockdown Party. We are all going to go for some lunch, as we just mentioned. Then we'll be back with some more fun stuff.